For the next 15 seconds, picture yourself in a small town. Historic buildings with galleries, restaurants, micro distilleries, forested ridgelines on the horizon, wide alpine meadows, evergreen forests threaded with trails, friendly locals eager to guide you. And if you're not quite ready to leave this fantasy, chances are you're our kind. And you should check out visitparkcity.com right away. Park City, Utah, for the mountain kind. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Rees listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them. And I hope you will, too. Time travel is kind of an interesting idea, don't you think? Who wouldn't want to revisit the best memories or moments of your life? Or see people from your past one more time? Or just explore another time as a bystander, maybe? Today's story explores what might happen if you and a loved one went time-traveling together and then became separated. It's by the author Jeffrey Ford. And it was originally published in the anthology Someone in Time, Tales of Time-Crossed Romance, edited by Jonathan Strahan. Jeffrey has been a college English teacher of writing and literature for 30 years. He's also authored 11 novels and six short story collections. His latest collection of short fiction is entitled Big Dark Hole, which was described by Kirkus Reviews as having the paranoia of Poe, the psychological terror of Shirley Jackson, and Stephen King's empathy for everyday people. So, as you might expect, Jeffrey is going to have his own little twist on a story about time-crossed romance. Please check the episode description for a content advisory if you are so inclined. This one does have some darker elements. And now, if... You are ready. Let's take a deep breath. (sighs) And begin. The Golden Hour by Jeffrey Ford.
I sat with the time traveler in the apple orchard behind his lodgings at the coach and four. Barthas, the waiter from the hotel bar, for a healthy tip, didn't mind strolling out across the back parking lot and down a short path every now and then to serve us a round of lime and lavender gin. The conversation was unhurried, with long silences in which we heard the percussion of ripe apples falling at the end of summer. It never failed that he would mention in his musings that he was merely waiting for the time stream to reopen. I never directly confronted him on the outlandish nature of his time travel escapades. I could see no gain in embarrassing him. And, to tell the truth, they were what I came for. All the while he spoke, in a faint and faltering tone, he was eating these little hard brown nuts he had a pocketful of in his jacket. I asked if I might try one, and he shook his head and gave a weak laugh. Heavens no, he said. They're from the future. Exceedingly bitter. One has to develop a taste for them. He dressed like a scholar of a bygone era. Tweed jacket, white shirt and tie, brown trousers, and a pair of black wingtip shoes that came to perilous points. He was always starched and creased, and his graying hair, what was left of it, he wore brushed back and held in place with what looked like a smear of bear wax. There was an autumn caterpillar of a mustache on his lip, and his eyebrows were a tangle. An old man once told me that irony is the engine of the world, and so the tiny strawberry birthmark between his left eye and ear took the form of an hourglass. He often smoked a meerschaum pipe, the white bowl wrapped round by an eagle's talon affixed to the long stem. Sometimes, as the night settled in among the trees and a late summer wind carried the scent of the nearby bay, he'd puff his pipe and stare seemingly unconscious into the darkening corners of the orchard. Then I would quietly take my leave of him and walk back along the path through the wine saps, to my cheap motel in the cattails by the edge of the water. I was really quite surprised that no one in the entire town of Westspire seemed to find his claims all that odd. But it was an easygoing backwater of a place. I was first introduced to him by Miss Host, the young woman who ran the newspaper kiosk where I bought my cigarettes, and he, apparently, his pipe tobacco. She said to me, Mr. Russell, have you met the time traveler? I thought she was making a joke. But no, when I looked up, there he was, with his gloved hand out thrust. I shook it and said, So, you're a time traveler? with a big grin on my face like I was in on the joke. 
I'm not exactly sure when the look of quiet desperation in Miss Host's big brown eyes made me realize they weren't kidding. I wished them both a good day, and as I stepped away from the kiosk, the time traveler followed me. He told me that he was staying at the local hotel, if you could call it that, waiting for the time stream to open back up so that he could resume his journey. Past or future? I asked. Where the clues lead, young man. Where else? Of course, I wanted to ask him clues to what. Before I could, he quickly inquired as to what my days were filled with. I'm holed up in the small motel over by the bay, under strict deadline, writing my third novel. About... To tell the truth, I haven't written a blessed word. Maybe you'll be kind enough to regale me with tales of time travel I can use as inspiration. To this, he said, Come by any late afternoon. If it's not raining, I'll be out in the orchard behind the coach and four. I've had them set up a table and two chairs back there. Summer is fading fast and... Its decline is beautiful amid the trees and tall grass. I will, I promised. He nodded and headed across Main Street toward the library. Two days later, the skies were clear, and I left my room at the golden hour, when the light turns the color of honey. The phenomenon doesn't last long. Still, I made it to the orchard and found the time traveler before the gold veneer dissipated into dusk. He sat in a fold-out chair next to a small round table. There was an empty chair across from his and two crystal tumblers half full of the violet, lime, and lavender gin that I soon learned was his favorite. I approached him from behind, and when I drew close, without actually seeing me, he took the pipe out of his mouth and said, Welcome, Mr. Russell. I've been expecting you. I sat across from him and laid my notebook and pencil on the table. Drink up, he said. Barthish should be back with another round before long. The combination of flavors and the alcohol was stunning. What is it you want to know? He asked. How do you time travel? Very well, he said. I lit a cigarette and took up my notebook and pencil. Time is not a mighty river. It's not a stream nor a burbling brook. Time doesn't flow. It's one vast, contiguous form, like a a giant wheel of cheese. This was proven by Professor Wellmer at the University of the West back at the end of the last century from this current date. She proved that the passage of time is an illusion. All time is any time. And vice versa. I'm trying to picture you burrowing through a vast wheel of cheese. 
Precisely, he said. That's why you have to understand that time travel is a function of memory. You mean you're simply daydreaming? Oh, no, it's far more than that and much more difficult to achieve. But you can't actually go back to the physical moment in time, which never existed to begin with. You must settle for traveling at the impetus of your memory. It takes intense concentration, certain specific physical poses, a universal time travel mantra, and the power of the imagination. If... You can get all of these windows to align. You do actually travel to the point initiated by your memory. Do you know of the experiments where Welmer applied live electrodes to parts of a patient's brain? The patient acted and reacted as if she was reliving a moment from her life. For all intent and purpose, she was there. Once you achieve that, you can wander anywhere in the world of that memory. Sounds complicated, I said. How did anyone discover this method? It's been known by the sages and shamans of numerous cultures going back thousands of years. Some say that it was brought to our planet by visitors. From the stars. Do you subscribe to that theory? <laughs> Do I look like a fool? <laughs> no. I believe it's our reliance on and relationship with memory that drew inquisitive minds to discover the process. If not a metaphor for flowing water, what is the time stream that you refer to? It's a term for the beams of focused recollection that you send streaming to your memory to achieve time travel. Depending on their strength, that is how adept you will be at the procedure. And one other rule. Because time travel is a function of memory, you can only revisit those times that fall within the boundary of your lifespan. Or memory. You mean to tell me, forgive me for asking, what is your actual name? Galen Thomas. You mean to tell me that right now there is another Galen Thomas of some other age living in this world? He nodded. I finished my drink and gave up on writing anything down. The moment was to be experienced with full concentration. Thomas's madness was intricate, confusing, and complete. There was a pause in our conversation in which I tried to analyze his methods, but my thoughts ended in knots. When I finally rejoined the time traveler, he was off in one of his dazes. A morning dove called across the orchard. In the days that followed, I thought a great deal about the time traveler. 
I was fairly certain he was insane. I also wondered why, if he was so adept at the practice of time travel, he seemed as if he was stuck, run out of time travel beams. I had every intention to go back for more a few days later, but when I left my motel room, there was a luxurious black car out front. The window went down in back, and there was the time traveler, wearing a hat and a pair of dark glasses. Get in, he said. I did hesitate for a moment, but then noticed Barthas was driving, and he always seemed very pleasant. I got in. We drove for a way in silence before Galen said, I'm taking you to Oberidge for dinner. It's on me. Thank you, I said and settled back. The trip took only a quarter of an hour, and Barthas dropped us off at a sidewalk cafe across from the canal the center of the small town. We had drinks, and I asked Galen why he was stuck, why his beams were not streaming. He told me with a wistful expression, I'm losing focus and energy as I grow old. Time travel is for the young. I'll get out of here someday, trust me, and when I go, I probably won't have a chance to say goodbye. The meal was served, and it was quite good. Roasted growl goose with potatoes and creamed peanuts. There were quite a few people at the cafe. Some inside and some out on the street under an awning. The place was run by a husband and wife and two children. The four of them did everything, from the cooking to the bussing of tables to chatting up the customers. The young boy who brought us our drinks showed us a magic trick with a deck of cards he carried in his pocket. Galen gave him a tip for it and said, You're a very bright young man. What's your name? The boy smiled and said, Galen, is... Your last name, Thomas? I asked. The boy pointed to the sign inside over the bar. In large, ornate letters, it read, Thomas Cafe. When he turned to point, I detected the strawberry hourglass between his eye and ear. Remarkable, I said to the time traveler. He nodded, but said no more. We finished dinner, and Barthas arrived to ferry us back toward Westbire. I was dropped off at the motel, where I thanked the gentleman for the evening out, and then I went to sleep for the first time with the new and stunning knowledge that time travel was possible. My sleeping mind couldn't wrap itself around the idea and the conflict gave rise to nightmares of mathematics and feverish reasoning.
For the next 15 seconds, picture yourself in a small town. Historic buildings with galleries, restaurants, micro distilleries, forested ridgelines on the horizon, wide alpine meadows, evergreen forests threaded with trails, friendly locals eager to guide you. And if you're not quite ready to leave this fantasy, chances are you're our kind. And you should check out visitparkcity.com right away. Park City, Utah, for the mountain kind. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And now, let's get back to our story. Autumn relieved summer in a graceful illusion of the progression of the year, and the temperature dipped to a condition not ungodly, but at least brisk. I went one overcast afternoon to see the time traveler, but found the chairs and round table knocked over by the wind and almost invisible in the long, tawny grass. I went back again the following week and, through a light snow squall, noticed the furniture had been removed. By then, night had already fallen. I went back to my motel and my accursed third novel. Not much writing got done there, but... There was a lot of deep thought. By the bay, winter days were quiet, save for the occasional screech of a seagull or the pattering of mice in the motel walls. The rest of the place had cleared out, and the owner let me keep my room through the empty season if I promised to do some light maintenance. You could fill all that quiet with memories, and I did there was actually one specific recollection I kept returning to and worked on seeing and experiencing more of it. All of it. Of course, the time traveler's lesson was in the back of my mind. It was just a ridiculously simple scene from when I was a child. It had snowed through the night, and my mother young and vibrant and still alive, got out the sled and tied a rope to it and then around her waist. She ran through the snow with me on board. We were heading for the school where I was enrolled in first grade. I focused on it, the rhythm of her boots in the snow, the slush of the runners, the enormous flakes that fell slowly like in a dream. But it was no dream. I was certain of it. The more I concentrated on it, more became clear to me. My mother's coat with a fur-trimmed hood, my own bulky snowsuit, the kids we passed throwing snowballs at each other. One night, after sitting all day, staring out the window at the bay and thinking of the incident... I felt the soul within me 
lurch. I was certain I'd nearly traveled in time, positive that I'd nearly achieved an energy time stream to connect me to the past. It only lasted a second, but it was a revelation. I knew to go further, I'd have to speak to Thomas. I was confident I could narrow down what I needed to know in no more than a dozen questions. Winter was formally upon West Spire, and so I skipped the orchard and went straight to the coach and four. There, I encountered Barthus emptying the ashtrays in the solarium and inquired after the time traveler. He smiled and said, Mr. Thomas is never in his room before nightfall. He has a visitor. A woman. I thanked him for the information and told him to have Thomas send for me when he had a free minute. The following day, I walked downtown, dressed warmly with scarf and overcoat against the dark, frigid day. Beneath my coat, I wore a hooded shirt and kept the big hood pulled up to cover my head. All I cared to imagine were the beautiful, breezy summer nights by the bay and wished only to travel back to them. Upon reaching the town, I visited Miss Host at the kiosk. She had a little barrel full of hot coals in her shop with her, and three of the four shutters of the little hut were closed against the wind. I pulled my hood off as I stood in line because I wanted to see Miss Host better and wanted her to see me. She was quite lovely. In addition... I had a question I wanted to ask. Without me saying a word, she brought me two packs of my usual non-filtered Galileos. I thanked her, paid her, and said, Miss Host, have you seen the time traveler of late? She smiled and noticed I was shivering. She said, Please, come and stand inside with me. She opened the counter to her left, and I had to duck in under the shutter. When I was in, she closed the counter and ushered me to a spot next to the barrel of coals. He still comes by for his pipe tobacco. But now he's here first thing in the morning rather than after lunch. I appreciate your having introduced me to him. Oh, I was so worried you'd question his sanity regarding time travel, she said. I could see it in your eyes. I had faith you were a kind person, Mr. Russell. I could just tell. What about Mr. Thomas? I asked. He relayed to me that something on the order of a miracle had occurred in his life recently. His wife came through time to find him, and here she has. She arrived last Tuesday, and they have been inseparable since. Stay in town today, and you will assuredly see them pacing the sidewalks, tittering and holding hands. It's adorable. She's here to take him home. You see, years ago, somewhere in the future... 
The time traveler insisted that he and his wife learn the time traveling techniques of the ancients. They did, and traveled together for a while, but then their abilities diverged and Mrs. Thomas became the more powerful. They lost each other in time, and he has spent the last ten years searching for her in every year they'd lived. Until, of course, he began losing his powers and was marooned here in the year he was ten. So, I suppose his wife must have been searching for him as well. Miss Host nodded. He told me once that he never realized he loved her so much as when she was some grand avalanche of years away, with no clue where he was. He was sure he could find her if he could just find the focus and energy to travel. Think of the frustration. And this is all given you believe their time travel tales, she said. I believe them. I'm going to try to follow them and jot down the details of their remaining stay in Westbire. It has just struck me that my novel could be about these days where the time traveler's wife arrives in the time he's lost in and tries to train him to escape to their original time. Sounds like an enchanting story. You know a lot about them. Do you want to help me do my research? Come along with me. I guarantee you'll see that their claims of time travel are legitimate. I can come with you when I get off at dark. Meet me here. My mind was adrift with the fact that Miss Host had acquiesced to assist me. To be honest, what really had my heart fluttering was how close I stood next to her in the kiosk. When she agreed to be my partner in spying on the Thomases, my throat closed up a bit. And when she took my hand to shake on our deal and laughed as she pumped my arm, my heart pounding. She gave me a free cup of coffee to go with my cigarettes, and I wished her well and told her I'd be back at dark. I sat on a bench at the far side of the bridge in town, got a cigarette going, and drank my coffee. I was there for quite a while before I happened to look down at the bank of the frozen Alberk River. On the shore, in the fallen snow, they sat on a bench, like the one I was on. It was the time traveler and his wife. She leaned into him as if to hide from the cold, and he had his arm around her shoulders. I knew they were speaking from the puffs of smoke that came from their mouths. It was difficult to get a good look at her. Galen sat very stiff beside her and gently patted her shoulder, He'd added a brown hat with a broad brim and a crown with a crease down the middle to his brown suit and black overcoat. I felt as if I was intruding on something 
very intimate, but I couldn't look away. It was all plot gold for the novel. I was concentrating on the time traveler with the same intensity as I did on the memory of my mother pulling the sled through the snow. I wanted to know more. The moment I thought that, his wife stood up and then helped him to his feet. He seemed weak and she held his arm. They stepped out onto the ice and I caught a good glimpse of her. An aged but smiling face, eyes gleaming, a few pounds overweight and a yellow satin jacket and earmuffs. Her hair was in gray braids that came to just below her shoulders. They stepped out onto the ice and she let him go. Staying a few steps in front of him, she slid on her shoes, swirling in circles and singing as if luring him out across the frozen river. Galen staggered along behind her, left hand holding his hat in place. I watched for the half hour it took for them to cross the ice to the opposite bank. Once there, they disappeared into the early afternoon mist. I sat for a moment more and contemplated what I'd just seen, wondering if it was some exercise in time travel training. When it got too cold on the bench, I retreated to the center of town and ducked into the shut-eye for a late lunch. The place was fairly empty. I ordered a lime and lavender gin and a plate of steamed potatoes in a classic Grim Boy's gravy. No sooner had I dug into my lunch when I heard the waitress seating someone in the booth behind mine. She made some small talk with the customers, and I was sure the voice I heard thanking her as she walked away was the time traveler's. Luckily, the back of my booth went way up past my head, so they couldn't see me. I turned my ear to it and eavesdropped on their conversation. You're going to have to do better. Your time stream is limp, she said. They both laughed. A couple of trips across the ice, a few fast drives, and I'll be back on the beam. You should have stayed in practice. Your memory's a mess. I meant to, he said. Well, let's just do what we have to do to get home. I miss being together on a quiet weekend. I can guide us back to only a few minutes before we left, and we'll not have missed anything. I'll work extra hard, he said. Their food came after that, and I heard no more conversation. Finally, I dropped enough money on the table to pay my bill with a nice tip and slipped out the back door. All afternoon, I walked through the woods next to the river, waiting for nightfall. When it finally arrived, I climbed up the bank and crossed the bridge to stand outside the kiosk. 
moment later, I heard Miss Host locking up for the night, and then she was standing in front of me with her big eyes like some denizen of the moon. I think we should head straight to the coach and four, she said, and took me by the hand. The time traveler's room is the large one on the bottom floor. We can spy on them through the window, if we're careful. How do you know this stuff? Oh, the old man tells me everything, she said with a laugh. When he stops by in the mornings now, it's as if he's confessing his life to me. He told me the other day that if he can't find the strength to focus and escape this time, he will shoot himself so that his wife might save herself from it. That's dire, I said, and she stopped walking. The next thing I knew, she was kissing me, and her tongue was in my mouth. Not that I'm complaining. I could tell then there were a lot of secrets to discover about Miss Host. We left the main street that went directly over the bridge to the doors of the coach and four and found the bench from where I'd spied on the Thomases down on the frozen river. We had quite a session there in the dark, undisturbed, and time ran wild without our notice. Who knew how late it was when we finally found ourselves in the back parking lot of the coach and four? As we approached the window of the room Miss Host said the time travelers were probably staying in, it appeared darkened to me, and I lost hope that we'd witness anything that night I could use in the novel. She put her finger to her lips and drew me closer. Then I saw them on the other side of the room, sitting at a table with only the light from a single candle. They sat across from each other. Galen was leaning forward, his face in his hands, obviously crying. Miss Host whispered in my ear that she was most likely telling him about the five years she spent living with another man in another time. She had been searching everywhere for him, and then, in that year, he'd have been twenty. She met a man at a party one night, and ended up staying with him for five years before traveling again to find Galen. How do you know that? I asked her. Trust me, she said. Now she's crying. What do you suppose the reason is? She's crying because even though she has found him, she realizes, without letting him know, that she's certain he will never have the focus and energy to escape now and return to their home in rightful time. We watched them for a while more until their conversation turned to laughter, which we could actually hear vibrating in the window glass. They had another brief conversation, and Miss Host said, Look at his eyes! reflecting the flame and shining in the dark. She must be speaking to him about time travel. I wish I knew what she was saying, I said. And then the candle went out, and we moved carefully away from the window. 
We were freezing by then, having stood motionlessly for over an hour. I put my arm around her, and we walked back over the bridge and along the cattail trail that led to my motel on the bay. For the next 15 seconds, picture yourself in a small town. Historic buildings with galleries, restaurants, micro distilleries. Forested ridgelines on the horizon. Wide alpine meadows. Evergreen forests threaded with trails. Friendly locals eager to guide you. And if you're not quite ready to leave this fantasy, chances are you're our kind. And you should check out visitparkcity.com right away. Park City, Utah. For the mountain kind. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's get back to our story. In the days that followed, while Miss Host worked at the kiosk, I snooped on the Thomases alone. Every day, I saw some very curious undertakings on their part. More than once, she instructed him to stand in the snow-covered orchard and turn in tight circles— Every time I saw him do this, he ended up on the ground, and she was forced to help him up. She wouldn't speak a negative word, but I saw when he couldn't, as she leaned over to get him, an enormous silent sigh. Of course, I was at a little bit of a distance, hiding behind a gnarled old apple tree. A few days later, with my view from the bench on the bridge, I saw her instruct him to remove his clothes, save for his boxer shorts. It had to have been the coldest day of the year. And to walk out on the river ice? Don't think I didn't wonder what walking on the ice had to do with time travel. Once he was standing in the middle of the frozen river, he sang a song really belted it out as if on stage in live theater. He was too distant for me to hear all the words of the song, but I thought I did hear the phrase, time is the mind. On the other hand, he could have been singing, lime is so fine, in reference to his favorite cocktail. Their antics grew more bizarre each day. And I couldn't say that Galen looked any better than he had before his wife showed up. She, on the other hand, looked great. Exuding energy, even having lost weight, but with all their exercise. That night, after closing, Miss Host came to the motel. She'd undress 
and get in bed with me. I'd tell her what I witnessed the time travelers doing each day. We'd laugh and speculate until three in the morning when sleep would finally catch us. It was late in the second straight week of his training that I encountered them on a sunny afternoon right at the apex of the town bridge. I was walking along, thinking to myself about the plot that involved Mr. and Mrs. Thomas without looking up and noticing that they were heading right for me. Just as I looked up, we passed. The time traveler was walking along wearing a blindfold. His wife nodded to me and smiled, as if to say, Isn't my husband a goofball? Galen piped up and offered a hello to whomever was passing, even though he had no idea it was me. After that, I didn't see them for a few days, and Miss Host didn't stop in after work for that same time. When I went to get my cigarettes, she told me she had to take care of her ailing mother at night. She still seemed friendly, and she still kissed me, but... Those days were lonely ones, as if I was cast away on a desert island in a rundown motel. The situation became so unbearable that I began writing my novel, the story of lovers lost in time, one too old to escape the years he'd landed in. I needed a prominent title, something simple my editor instructed, but something powerful and a tad profound. Not too profound, just profound enough. The knocking at my door one morning startled me, and I jolted up out of bed. I wrapped a robe around myself and answered, expecting, hoping it might be Miss Host. It was most certainly not her. I needed to clear my eyes before taking another look at my visitor. All I'd seen was a hulking form and a bald head. It came to me that it was Barthas. He said he had a message for me from Miss Host. What is it? She said to tell you that the time traveler told her he was going to insist today that his wife leave him behind and return home or go where she might want to. He loved her too much to hold her here when it was clear he was never going to escape this time alive as a time traveler. I thanked Barthas and gave him a tip. He asked me if I needed a ride to town, and I accepted. It took me minutes to dress and fewer minutes to get to the kiosk. I jumped out of the back seat and Barthas motored off toward the coach and four. As soon as Miss Host saw me, she pointed toward the bridge. Mr. Russell, she said, I think the time traveler has shot himself. He had a gun and I heard it go off. Look, he's up on the bridge, on the bench. I didn't hesitate, but turned and ran. There was Galen Thomas, slumped over, sitting forward on the bench overlooking the frozen river. 
I took a seat beside him. He looked over at me with pale surprise and said, Russell, good to see you. I looked down at where he gripped his stomach and saw the blood burbling out from beneath his grip. Galen, you're wounded. So I am, and I shot myself. If you wanted to commit suicide, why not shoot yourself in the head? Faster and less painful than a gut shot. Can I get you an ambulance? Most definitely not. The the reason I went for the slow demise was because I wanted to see my wife, Muriel, heading out into time. Look. There she is. He pointed down onto the river. I saw her moving along at a steady, slow pace as if she had a tow rope tied to her. But there was no rope. She didn't move her legs or her arms and she slid smoothly forward and away from us. Her hair was out of the braids and blowing back in the wind. said Galen. I did. And like a light going out, she disappeared without a trace. The time traveler waved as if she could still see him, but I don't believe there was any way she could have. He leaned over more and grunted, I could see in his expression the life leaving him. Putting a bloody hand on my shoulder, he drew me close. I had a memory the other day. It was late at night. Muriel was next to me in the hotel bed, sleeping peacefully. The lights were out, and I had a memory that was more like a vision. It came in so strongly, so beautifully vibrant in its colors. I was a young child in the first grade. It had snowed overnight so that there were drifts in the street. My mother, looking young and full of energy, her black hair flowing, tied a rope around each handle of the sled, and then attached the rope around her waist. She ran and pulled me along the street. I heard the runners in the snow and the percussion of her boots like the orchard apples falling at the end of summer. Were the snowflakes enormous? I asked. He smiled and nodded. They fell slowly, like in a dream. 
he said. And then disintegrated, blowing away like sand and then salt and then smoke. And once he was gone, the town, our reality and time, slowly began to vanish. The steeple church, the library, the woods on the opposite bank of the river. The boundaries of Galen's memory shrunk by the day. We realized we were all only a part of this time in his focused beaming. His memory was all of us and everything. Miss Host predicted that invading nothing was hurting us to the orchard behind the coach and four. We pitched a tent there, and Barthas, one of the few left alive, brought us food and drink. She wept when we woke one day and found the kiosk gone. It had become the place where those who were left gathered every day to discuss the terror of living in a world that was the disappearing memory of a dead man. Miss Host and I are writing my novel together. Something to do while the world shrinks. We're deep into the story, writing at night in the tent by flashlight, with the winter wind whipping the apple trees all around us. We laugh and discuss and smoke cigarettes and turn away for a moment when a memory of the mice in the motel walls seems too beautiful to resign to oblivion. What a complex story. There is a, a, a phrase we use in, in show business called the golden hour, right? That, that, that brief period at sunset when, you know, as, as the writer says, the light is honey, you know, golden, right? And the thing about golden hour is, is that it is intensely beautiful and incredibly fleeting. It's over very quickly, and if you intend to do any shooting in that brief window of time, if you have a scene of any length, you have to come back to that spot every day for a number of days, hoping for the same conditions, the same clouds or... It's not the same, right? So you have to be committed to returning to that moment every day in order to concoct the fantasy 
of the story that you're telling. Now, you know, you don't need to be making a movie to understand how uh, delicious the light at golden hour is, but the idea that that it is so brief and fleeting, elusive, is my point. And I guess that's, you know, as good a metaphor for life as there is. Years ago, monks from Dharamsala, uh, the Dalai Lama's um, ashram, came to Los Angeles to perform a ceremony that they call the Tibetan Wheel of Time. And it is an amazing ceremony where these monks, like five, six, maybe eight of them, for hours at a time, every day, create this sand mandala with um, these metal tubes, conical tubes that are filled with sand. And they have a tapper on the top and a very, very small, like very, very small, um, you know, hole at the bottom so that as they tap, the sand comes out and they actually, that's how they control the placement of the sand. Now, if you see a picture of one of these sand mandalas, it is huge. They're like five, six feet across. They're large structures and they work for days on this. And you can't imagine that that they can actually keep all of this information in their heads as to what colored line goes where. And the astonishing thing to me is that when they finish, finally finish this incredible work of art, they sweep it all up into containers and go and throw that sand into the ocean as a blessing. Now, the first time I saw this done, I wept at what I felt was the loss of all of that work. But the point of view is that that is the nature of life, the impermanence of all things. And to be attached to this world is a choice, <laughs> but perhaps not a choice that really indicates all that is going on in this realm. That's what this story reminded me of. The Tibetan Wheel of Time and the impermanence of all things, including, and I suppose, most especially, us. My thanks to Jeffrey Ford, who allowed me to read his story today. Big Dark Hole is his latest collection of stories, and you can find links to more of his books at his website, well-builtcity.com. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is the one and only Julia Smith. She is the best in the business, y'all. Our fabulous researcher is Lakeisha Lewis. Editing and sound design by Casey Holford, one of our new kids on the block who's not so new anymore. And thank you to Tamika Weatherspoon for her invaluable research and production support. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. 
pick your favorite story and send it to them. And hey, you can hear episodes ad-free if you like and also listen to exclusive bonus author interviews on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. LeVarBurton.com is my corner of the internet and you can join my book club at fable.co slash LeVar. I'll see you all next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. For the next 15 seconds, picture yourself in a small town. Historic buildings with galleries, restaurants, micro-distilleries. Forested ridgelines on the horizon. Wide alpine meadows. Evergreen forests threaded with trails. Friendly locals eager to guide you. And if you're not quite ready to leave this fantasy, chances are you're our kind. And you should check out visitparkcity.com right away. Park City, Utah. For the mountain kind. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.